The final act of the 2023 election has reset the calculus, blowing apart National's dream scenario and driving up the price for forming government. I can't guarantee a timing. I just genuinely can't. Kia ora ko Craig McCullough-Kahou in a te pūrongo tōrangapū mō wiki. Welcome to Focus on Politics. 20 days it took to recount all the ballots, to add in those so-called special votes, to check for mistakes or fraud. 20 days to deliver a bombshell. They were a tense 20 days for National and ACT, after election night gave them enough support to govern together just the two of them. 50 seats to National, 11 to ACT, 61 out of 121 MPs. It was the barest majority, one seat, but a majority nonetheless, enough to take power without the need for New Zealand first. On current numbers, it looks like National and ACT will be in a position to form the next government. But the key qualifier was on current numbers, and Christopher Luxon knew all too well that majority could disappear all too quickly on the final count. That's why he followed up his remarks with this acknowledgement. And I also congratulate Winston Peters on New Zealand's first return to Parliament, and I appreciate his comments this evening that he is willing to help where needed. And if we can help going forward, we will. That exchange takes on much greater significance now. The 600,000 special votes have been tallied and added to the final count. And Mr Luxon's dream scenario has dissipated. His clean majority with ACT vanishing. And National has lost two seats, making 48. Add in ACT's 11, and that makes 59. To party Māori's success in the Māori seats, six in total, has also expanded the size of Parliament to 122 MPs. That means National and Acts 59 is not enough. They will need New Zealand First's eight MPs to make that majority. This is the scenario Mr Luxon called a last resort during the campaign, an outcome he was prepared to make work but did not want. We will now crack on with the clarity that we have. Christopher Luxon may be putting on a brave face, but it is evident these numbers have made his job harder. Here's RNZ's political editor, Jane Patterson. In very strict black and white terms, they cannot get to a majority without New Zealand First. So it definitely gives New Zealand First more leverage. But there was always a recognition since election night that because the result was so close and because of the historic tendency of the special votes to favour the left versus the right, there was very much uh, an appreciation within the National Party camp that they could lose a couple of seats and they could be in this um, position. So I imagine the negotiations have been done in that context. So not just on the fact that they had a majority, but looking at those contingencies, potentially if National and ACT did actually need up, uh, end up needing New Zealand first. Is it likely, do you think, that this will hold up negotiations? Presumably Winston Peters' price has just gone up. It definitely makes negotiations trickier for National. It does mean that New Zealand First has the deciding hand or not. Um, there are a number of other pressure points. There's a public expectation, as there's been a lot of discussion about. It's been three weeks to count the special votes this election, which has felt like a bit of a long time, um, maybe to us covering politics and the politicians having to put the deal together. So there is the public expectation, and you've heard that reflected in the comments from the party leaders, they recognise the urgency, so they want to get on with it. Um, there is a massive international summit, of course, at a time of great conflict and geopolitical complexity, APEC in San Francisco in mid-November. Chris Luxon would like to be there as Prime Minister for what he says are obvious reasons, so that is one deadline pressure. However, he says he's not going to put a government together quickly 
just to make those deadlines. And then, of course, you have the negotiating strategies of the other two parties, New Zealand First and ACT, saying we want to do it quickly, trying to put a bit of pressure on uh, Christopher Luxon. But I imagine a lot of common ground has already been explored. Interesting to hear Chris Luxon just say there that he'd had several very good conversations with Winston Peters, the leader of New Zealand First, um, basically since election night. So they sound like they're making progress on that relationship. So I imagine they've covered a lot of common ground. There are going to be policy obstacles, though, that they will have to work through. On these numbers, what do you think is most likely? A three-party coalition or some other sort of arrangement? I think that would be the starting point. So the difference between a coalition and a confidence in supply. So a full coalition deal means that all of the ministers awarded to the smaller parties are in cabinet. What that does, it binds them to the government decisions and it doesn't leave a lot of room for them to criticise the government but gives them a lot of influence because they're sitting in cabinet, they're at the seat of power. A confidence in supply deal is often for, say, the third party, the third smallest party in the arrangement, which is still... I'm sure, in play. But what that means is that you get ministerial positions in return for guaranteeing confidence and supply. But those ministers sit outside Cabinet, but it means that you're much freer to criticise the government and keep your own brand. So there are pros and cons. So um, ACT and New Zealand First, ACT has uh, made it very clear that they want a coalition deal with National. They see themselves as their natural partner and also a party that has delivered more seats, although in this situation it doesn't actually matter the difference in seats between ACT and New Zealand First. Um, They're both needed. They're both needed. New Zealand First um, has not, as far as I'm aware, made any specific comment about what kind of arrangement it would prefer if Winston Peters did start making those kind of comments. It it probably compromises his own negotiating position. During the election campaign, ex-David Seymour ruled out the prospect of sitting round the cabinet table with one Winston Peters, but the cold, hard reality of the numbers has prompted a post-election rethink. If there were two different seats, then then yes, I think that's possible. And speaking on the platform, Winston Peters expressed optimism a deal could be struck quickly. And I think we can do this much more quickly than people think. I hope that it'll be a matter of days, perhaps less than a week. While there are winners and losers among the three governing parties, the same is true of those in opposition. For Labour, the result is salt in the wound, underlining its drubbing on election night and extending it across those Māori seats. In 2020, Labour held six of the seven seats. It's now lost five of those to Te Pāti Māori. It's a devastating blow to Labour, to its Māori caucus and to its leader, Chris Hipkins. There was a clear vote splitting that was going on uh, in the Māori electorate. So we saw them voting, Labour with their party vote, wanting us to continue in government, uh, but wanting, if if you like, a Māori party voice within that government. Labour was hoping that they would keep hold of those two northern seats, Titai Tokoro, where Calvin Davis, Labour's um, deputy leader, was standing, and also Tamaki Makaurau, another senior MP, Pini Henere, on these results, they've lost both those seats and that might come as a bit of a surprise to Labour which just expands that performance of the Māori Party across, as you say, six of those seven seats. Now, in one case, in Tamaki Makoto, it's really close. It's four votes in it, so that'll be going for a recount, I'm sure. Now, in Te Tai Tokoro, Calvin Davis has said that if he lost that seat, he would quit politics. So that would be um, a, a 
big loss to Labour in terms of seniority, a senior Māori MP and someone who's been with Labour for a long time and holds that senior position. Although he's indicated to Chris Hipkins, he said that uh, he hasn't made a decision yet, he won't be rushing that decision, so still up in the air. What does Labour need to do to win back those voters, and not only Māori voters in the Māori seats, but also those seats in Auckland, where it has, I mean, those electorates, safe red Labour seats, have gone to national? I think there are different elements at play in Auckland. My feeling is that the lockdowns and the hangover from COVID really punished Labour. Uh, They put Auckland into that second lockdown that caused a lot of consternation, and I think we're seeing the reflection of that from the loss of some of those Auckland seats. In terms of the Māori seats, they have been loyal to Labour but have flipped to the Māori Party in the past. Labour really needs to look at what it stands for and how it articulates that. So we had issues, for example, over co-governance that really caused a lot of problems for Labour and actually ended up backpedalling in a lot of cases away from it. Um, and Māori may have seen that as a betrayal or a compromise of their commitment to to the Māori electorate. But also, you know, the Māori Party have been running strong campaigns. They've been very visible in Parliament. So um, there will be an element of Māori voters just looking for something different as opposed to the failures of Labour. But obviously there's been a strong message through this result that Labour needs to pick up its game and cannot rely on that Māori vote like it maybe did five or even ten years ago. Two more MPs for Te Party Māori they're bringing in. They're going to be a formidable force this term. They are. They have tripled their caucus and with the number of uh, MPs comes resources, it comes with questions in the House, it comes with the heft of just having a bigger caucus and it also leaves um, the two co-leaders more time to um, to do that, that political work. It's quite hard for these small parties and David Seymour will know this well as a one-man band, actually running the parliamentary side of a party and making sure that you're present, making sure that you're, you're voting and all of that sort of thing. So that will relieve the pressure and actually allow them to get out and do that broader broader party work. They will be very, very happy with that. Uh, Debbie Ngārewa Packer is saying they were stoked with the result and uh, six out of seven seats at this stage, they should be stoked with that result. And the Greens, they're bringing in another MP uh, with Kahurangi Carter, their best ever result. It is, and they were probably maybe a bit disappointed with their election night result compared to what the polls had been mm-hmm. maybe lining them up for them. So this will be a bit of a fill-up. This will help with that that one seat. But if you think about, again, coming back to the special votes, they're made up of people who vote out of the electorate overseas and also first-time voters. So you could see within there, you know, one example is given, for example, university students who might be voting out of their electorate who might tend to favour the Green Party. So it's not completely unexpected, but very welcome, I'm sure, from the the Greens. What does it mean for the various caucuses, where the electorates have go? They tell a bit of a fascinating tale because although the electorates aren't important for who holds power necessarily, they are quite important for the makeup of Parliament and the makeup of the parties in Parliament. So with Labour losing a whole host of electorates on election night, they've won back a few I see here, won back Nelson and Te Atatū. So they bring in Rachel Boyack and Phil Twyford, but because they haven't expanded their list vote at all, they lose Shannon Halbert and they lose Tracy McClellan on the list. Now, that caucus has a real job to rebuild now. It has uh, lost half of its team, half of its team have been shown the door and they have very little fresh blood in there 
to rebuild and, and, and get in ship shape for the next election. And what we potentially might see are further departures too of senior MPs. So we mentioned Calvin Davis and that's not decided yet. Andrew Little, of course, um, left soon after the election result. And what that often means is you get less experienced people coming in on the list. Um, but whether they are going to be the stars of the future is another question. It could help in terms of that fresh button and, and, and enthusiasm, but not so much in terms of the experience. And it's always a trade-off. It, you, you sometimes lose that experience. Um, but then... They it, need to find the next Jacinda Ardern. They need to find the next leader. And this is uh, where Labour is heading. We have seen National do it and we've seen Labour do it before. It is very difficult after an election loss and often losing many of your senior MPs and then a lot of other senior MPs deciding, I do not want to do another term or however many in opposition. So they tap out as well. So yes, it gives a chance for a refresh, but it also puts pressure on in terms of unity, cohesion, that institutional knowledge and just keeping cool heads. So Labour have to have a leadership vote um, to endorse the leader within three months of the election. Uh, That could happen as early as next week, but they still have a bit of time. Uh, There's no sense that there is an active move against Chris Hipkins at the moment, but it's still very early days, and there is definitely resentment um, within the caucus and still anger about their election results. So the, the Labour story is not over. When it comes to national, they've lost two list seats, but they've also lost two electorates there. So Blair Cameron's out and Angie Nicholas is out. They hold on to Jerry Brownlee, who was a little bit, there was a question mark over him. Do you think that they have the right mix of experience there? We were just talking about experience and fresh blood. Do they have the right uh, level of experience to build a convincing cabinet? I still think they have a challenge to build a cabinet because remember their caucus was severely cut back and they lost a lot of experience um, after their 2020 defeat. So the caucus has been rebuilt to some degree by Chris Luxon, but um, they they still do have some former cabinet ministers. But this is actually where the likes of ACT and New Zealand First might help. Um, even though ACT doesn't actually have any ministerial experience, both David Seymour and Brooke Van Velden are very experienced parliamentarians now and have been around the place and have seen um, how governments and opposition works. And of course you do have that cabinet experience in New Zealand First from Winston Peters and Shane Jones, so that actually may help National to be able to fill out that cabinet or the executive a bit more. So now we're at the stage of trying to cobble together that deal. What happens next in terms of the actual process of of bringing that together? So uh, National Leader Christopher Luxon just said that they will still keep working over the weekend, keep working over the coming week. He said that they do take time out to digest their conversations and um, they will also want a bit of time just to really look at the different implications of this final vote. But I imagine they're not going to be mucking around. They will really want to um, accelerate the negotiations. They'll want to put some speed under it. So um, interestingly, uh, Chris Luxon confirmed that he will hold parallel negotiations with ACT and with New Zealand First separately so they won't all be sitting around the same table and that has um, there's been another interesting conversation about the relationship between ACT's David Seymour and New Zealand First Winston Peters who um, do have an acrimonious um, past history together David Seymour has, quote, reached out to Winston Peters uh, that hasn't been returned. So uh, Christopher Luxon said, look, there will have to be at some point, um, at some point they will have to get around a table and start establishing that relationship. But in the meantime, from his, for, for his intents and purposes, he just carries on negotiating with the both of them, which is, um, of course, the way that Labour 
um, or that the negotiations were conducted in um, 2017. That's RNZ's political editor Jane Patterson, and that's Focus on Politics. I'm Craig McCulloch. Thank you for joining us. Matewa.